We are back. We are ready to go. Everyone's in a great mood. Ready to hit this podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. We're with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner. Joshua Winterswike, certified financial planner. And today we're going to discuss uh, what you would be doing if you had a lump sum of money. And whether it came from, let's just say, a rollover, an inheritance, you sold your business, uh, you have this big lump sum or a small lump sum, but you have a lump sum, what and how would you do it? And I think why this is important and what makes me excited to talk about this is because these can be like really life-changing decisions, right? I mean, if you get a lump sum of money and you do something right with it, I mean, that could really change your future. All right, so let's get into it. How are you guys doing? You ready for summer? Yeah, I'm doing good, Brent. I'm excited for today's show. It's starting to get hot out um, here in California, which is nice. I, I like the heat usually by like August, September time frame. I'm over it, but you know, it's June. It's getting hot. It's nice. I'm going to need to buy some new shorts. I'm stepped outside. I'm like, man, it, it's already kind of hot. Me too, except I need to buy new shorts for a different reason. Um, it's more of a waist expansion problem than a uh, not having shorts. Hey, don't feel bad. The quarantine got me too. <laughs> but uh, looking looking forward to summer. It's a good good change of pace. But I feel like uh, I get tired of the heat very quickly. So we'll see how long I'm excited for. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, it's already here and it's hit fast. Yeah. All right, let's get in the hot take headlines. I feel like we've talked about this, I don't know how many times already, but meme stocks are back in the news. This time, more about AMC, the obvious popular movie chain. Uh, Stocks surged 135% over a five-day period. The recent surge led the company to file an equity share offering, which knocked the price down by almost 60%. In the SEC filing documents, the company said, we believe that the recent volatility in our current market prices reflect the market and trading dynamics unrelated to the underlining business, a macro or macro or industry fundamentals, and we do not know how long these dynamics will last. I mean, under these circumstances, uh, Matt, what do you think is actually happening here? Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting statement by the company. Essentially, the CEO came out and said, hey, the, the share price doesn't represent the fundamentals of our business. If you're buying our stock up here, we're almost guaranteeing you're going to lose money because our business isn't worth that much. Um, and then he also went on to issue 500 million shares. And, and what that is, is a, you know an equity offering. So a business, when they uh, want to raise money, they could sell debt or equity. And they chose, because their stock price was so much, to sell um you know, shares of their stock. And so that knocked the stock down by 60%, hurting the investors who, you know, got in the day before. Um, so now they have, you know, $2 billion in cash on their balance sheet, um, which is probably, you know, close to what the company is worth, 2 to $5 billion, not the whatever $60 billion it's worth today. So and one of the other things I thought was interesting that we said is, we caution you against investing in our Class A common stock, unless you're prepared to incur the risk of losing all or a substantial portion of your investment. <laughs> I mean, what are they preparing everyone for here? I mean, it seems like the writing's on the wall, right? Well, the company was, you know, on the brink of filing bankruptcy and going under, you know, um, and it's just kind of funny because like the more you read into this story, the CEO likes to like excite investors. I mean, he's tweeted like, you guys are going to take this company to the moon, (laughs) but it's just kind of, he's on one side of the fence and the other. He is offering free popcorn um, to investors and shareholders. And, you know, he comes out saying, we're, you guys are the ones who we're working for. And it excites investors. 
And then he just pulls out this big disclosure that be careful, it might go to zero. So I just thought that this whole story was like pretty crazy um, just because of how interesting the CEO is. So before COVID happened, so like in 2018, 2019, I was, I was looking at AMC as an investment for myself. It was like a low single digit stock at the time. And the reason I thought it was interesting um, was because I thought maybe like a Netflix or Amazon would buy it. Um, because like Netflix, Amazon, they don't really care if they're, they're losing money on, um, you know, movie theaters, but for them, it could be a really good way to distribute their movies and gain a stronger foothold in Hollywood. So that was like four years ago. I thought that, but essentially the business AMC is in is a very bad business. And, um, the reopening of the economy doesn't change that the movie business has been bad for, you know, five, six years now. So what brings on this sort of community hype that goes along with these stocks? I mean, they're kind of kids playing around with stocks that have really no underlining value to them. Why, like, why the hype around it, though? Is it just th- these people think it's funny? Because they, they really don't have a clear idea of what they're investing in. Yeah, they, they don't, but they do, right? I mean, there are some smart people on these Reddit boards. You read the threads, you're like, wow, these, you know, this guy this is a really smart idea. Um, but it's the internet, right? It's a wildfire. I mean, you got uh, people with big followings going out and, you know, tweeting or Instagramming or uh, TikToking. Is that what they call it? TikToking? Mm-hmm. TikToking, you know, to buy AMC, then their followers go and, you know, AMC is a $10 stock. So maybe $1,000, they could afford 100 shares. And, you know, it's just like a, a wildfire. Once it gets going, it takes off. I think that the internet has made, in you know, the younger investors like their appetite for risk is just so much greater. So, you know, it can get like a really good following and a really big following, not only because, you know, that fear of losing the money is kind of softened. And then also like the FOMO of it, you're a part of this community, you want to be a part of this, you don't want to miss out, you know, you want to be able to put on your Instagram or Twitter that, you know, I'm a part of this AMC stock going to the moon. Um, And we're communicating with this CEO who's telling us, you know, we're with him and he's the godfather. I think that's what they named him or the ape father because they call themselves apes for investing in AMC. So um, I think there's a lot of variables to that, but it is pretty interesting. And I think they've made investing so much easier than when we started investing, right? I mean, now for us to open an account with a Robinhood or some other custodian, I mean, you can get account, account open, funded and buying stock very quickly, which it wasn't that easy years ago. And find out so much information on, on you know, and have a community to talk to about it. Right. You know, that, that was a lot different than, you know, 20 years ago. So. Right. All right. Let's get into the next headline. As COVID starts to wind down the U.S., companies are asking employees to start coming back to the office. Bloomberg is reporting that instead of coming back to the office, employees would rather quit. How is that possible? <laughs> are they really willing to quit their job? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, it's kind of funny because w- work from home, I think, is definitely dying down in a lot of a lot of industries. I, I think for some people in jobs, it could make sense to have a work from home or hybrid situation. But for a lot of people, I think that day to day collaboration and seeing your peers is really important. And, and I feel that you know the people who who are quitting either probably one hate their job or two have some kind of you know, maybe psychological impact from what we've all been through over the last 14, 15 months. So, you know, maybe they're scared to go back to the office because they consume so much um, COVID media that they're terrified of getting it. I I, I don't know, but work from home's over. I think you make some good points, but I also think that people have options. 
I, I mean, you know, it, it may really made you realize, you know, that a lot of people could work from home that they thought they never could. You know, and there's going to be a lot of companies that embrace more of a hybrid model or still work from home. And, and so as people research that as well, I think that what it's doing is, you know, for a generation, especially millennial, millennial generation that do have so many options, this just gives you even more options to create a, your own culture, you know, that hybrid model of working from home and the office or just working from home. So, you know, I, I think that that plays a role as, you know, along with what you also said, Matt, but, uh, it's it's going to be a pretty interesting time for corporations and to seeing how they manage, you know, talent with going back to work and managing the culture of the company. I think what's obvious for us and just as a small company, I mean, uh, we see benefits in the work from home model. We see benefits in the work from office model. So there, I, I wonder how long it takes big companies to be able to study productivity and all the data around doing a hybrid model and, and working at both and what lacks by doing that versus working all at the office or all from home. Cause like we've talked about, I mean, creativity and collaboration and working together in the office, you don't have that working all separate from home. You don't. Um, but you know, do you need that every single day? Can you still collaborate half the week and, and then not have to drive like we have to here? Right. Yeah. And that's a big benefit. And a lot of people, you know, have, have enjoyed the benefit of working from home. So if you're young in your career, I would be very careful about uh, work from home. If yeah. you're not getting into networking opportunities or networking groups outside of work, because that's how you're going to learn. You're going to learn from you know people who've been at the company longer. They're going to train you, and you're going to want to be face to face. You know, picking up all their information. Yeah, it seems like your learning capabilities at home would be sort of in a box. Yeah, I agree completely. And and just the social interaction. Uh, you know, lunches, um, communication, and, it, and it's healthy. Right. Team, well, work softball teams. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the things, big things with this headline, though, is, is if people aren't going back into the office out of pure fear, that's dealing with a whole other psychological issue that we're going to have to deal with in this country. Yeah, definitely. And that'll be something that, you know, we're going to find out probably pretty soon. But is like you said, a, a completely different issue that probably needs to be addressed. All right, let's get into the retirement planning topics. All right, so today we're going to talk about it on the show, we're going to discuss about how do you invest a lump sum of money? No matter where you got it from, doesn't matter. Today we're going to put a monetary amount on it as pretend, just because it makes numbers easy as a million dollars. So where do you start, first of all? And we're going to establish two different stages of life. One being a retiree, maybe you're ready with your 401k, you're ready to roll it over, maybe you got an inheritance. The other, a millennial, maybe you did sold a business, maybe you did inherit some money. Many ways that people come up on a lump sum of money, but let's say you have that money. What is sort of your first thought, Matt? You're going to handle the retirees, Josh will handle the millennials. What's your first thought on that? Um, yeah. So are, are you giving me retirees because I, I'm old? <laughs> yeah. You just act the oldest. Uh, yeah, okay. You do act the All oldest. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely probably the closest to retirement in this group. So I'll take <laughs> the retirees for sure. Um, you know, so when, when retirees get a lump sum, you got to think about, okay, where did you get this lump sum from? Most likely if you're in your late fifties, early sixties, um, you know, to that latter half of your sixties, you're probably getting your lump sum from, you know, a separation from employment. So maybe you're rolling over your IRA, you got a couple million or your 401k to an IRA, you got a couple million there, or maybe you had some kind of buyout agreement at work where you retired and 
you know, you're going to lump some payout, 800,000, a couple million, whatever it is. And what you need to think about as a retiree is your income potential. You know, if you're retired, you're not going to be making as much money as you once were. Um, your fixed sources of income, unless you have a pension, are going to be social security. So you need to think about that lump sum a lot differently than, you know, a young person. So that lump sum is meant to last you for the rest of your life. So you have to not only invest it differently, but you have to use it to create income. Josh, what is, a, what, what is your thoughts around a young person? I mean, do you put all a- AMC stock and go to the moon or what do you do with it? Just to be, it just depends on if you believe in that a- AMC CEO. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I think it, it's right in line with what Matt said in the sense of you have to determine what is the goal of the money. I mean, that's always going to be first whenever you're looking at investing money. And, and as an intro to like this millennial side, um, you know, you're probably received, if you did have a, a large lump sum, it probably came from an inheritance or like you said, Brent, maybe, you know, it was a sell of a business or, you know, just some good fortune at a younger age where you've acquired some wealth really quickly through, um, you know, some some good investments as well, right? So um, the, all of those kind of, examples still fall into if you do have that lump sum of money we have to tie that money to a goal so is that money for retirement or the future you know determining what is that time horizon that you're going to need the money because at some point you know as a millennial you're going to want some accumulation right you're not going to be using all of that money you want to you know invest this we are investing it because it's potentially for the future so we have to determine what is that time horizon for that money and we also have to determine what is the goal for that money before we even start looking at what the investments are important points matt if you're working with a retiree what is the investment strategy that you're looking at how are you approaching stocks active funds versus passive versus bonds yeah so the first thing to do is you know figure out how much income that retiree is going to need in life right so let's just you know take a easy example let's say they need a hundred thousand and they're going to get 40 from Social Security, that means they need 60 from their investments. Um, so on a million, that would be a 6% withdrawal rate. We know that's kind of high. We know we want to be around that 4% range for the money to last for, for most of their retirement. But to start, I'd look at the investment universe. And as a retiree, you want the least amount of surprises. So you want the most tried and true investment method. I would probably use mutual funds, ETFs, and an approach of you know, passive stock and bond investing, where you're not trying to outguess the market. Um, you're just letting the market work for you and you're taking your income every year. So I guess to put that number to work is if you were to use a balanced approach between stock and bonds, mutual funds and ETFs, and you had a million dollars, you're taking 4% a year. The simple number is, is you're taking about $40,000 a year to add to your social security income or your other fixed incomes. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So for that, it would come to 80. If you needed 100, you're still short 20. Um, so you kind of got to make it up somewhere. Maybe you have a rental property. I don't know. Or you take a little bit more, which some people do. And they, you know, they go for the gamble. And when it's out, it's out. And to avoid surprises, you're, you're wanting to avoid surprises, I guess, because if the market does decline, you taking out $40,000 uh, is going to become much more impactful, that portfolio, because the percentage is much higher. Absolutely. So like if you're a retiree and you're sitting there like, oh, my, my son's getting in on this AMC. He's, you know, he made 250K. I could get in on this and make a 250K. My retirement's going to be that much better. You know, that, that's not exactly true because you could lose, you know, the 100K or whatever it costs you to buy into AMC 
and now you have even less for retirement. You're, you're adding a, you know, a, a new obstacle to your plan. Josh, I see it a lot different for millennials because most millennials are actively working and they're not necessarily trying to create an extra $40,000 to their income from their portfolio. They're more looking at a growth strategy. I mean, how do they approach stock versus bonds and why don't they look at it from a more of an income perspective? Yeah, that is a good point. And I think even just from experience of like the millennial clients that, you know, in this situation, it is for more growth and, and developing more wealth for the future. Um, so there are more options because you aren't, you know, necessarily looking for this lump sum of money to provide you income, like you said. So the strategy changes. The strategy is we want to maximize growth, but in a diversified way. So, you know, we still love the stock to bond mix using mutual funds and ETFs, but I think also the spectrum of investments also grows a little bit, right, for even more diversification. So you have to ask yourself also, what is your risk tolerance, right? Even going through a simple questionnaire through risk tolerance or going through a, you know, a chart that's going to compare risk tolerance, but those things are going to help you develop really what your investment spectrum should be. So if it is low, some of the investments might not be good for you, like you know, investing in hedge funds or startups that have maybe a little bit more risk than just a stock-to-bond mix portfolio that's completely diversified. But you can also now and then look at a real estate strategy, right? Those are other options. We have cryptocurrencies that you can invest in. So developing an even diversified approach because our goal is different from a retiree, which is no income, but more for growth, we might want to add some you know, speculative investments in there um, to maximize that growth. But it has to be calculated. It has to be in line with your goal. It has to be in line with your risk tolerance as well. But they're all you, you know, more options now as a millennial because the strategy has changed for different investment types that are out there. I mean, for millennials, do bonds really provide any value in a portfolio if they're really building it for growth? The simple answer is no, if it is built for growth. I mean, yes, if you want to you know, limit the downside risk a little bit. But again, I mean, judging by your risk tolerance, if you've determined that, probably not. I mean, if you're not going to use this money and you want this to grow over the next 20 years, are bonds really helping you that much? Um, I think it's more of analyzing each year um, your overall portfolio and making sure you're diversified and you're comfortable than it is about limiting downside risk for a millennial. I mean, because in these situations, you have your six months in savings anyway. So yeah, that's what go without saying. So if you're investing, you know, a million dollars as a millennial, you got to make sure that debt's paid off. You have to make sure your emergency funds set aside. Um, we're only talking about that excess um, that you didn't need in that short term that we're investing for the long term future. Now, one of the strategies, Matt, that I think we hear a lot about, like, let's say you took this million dollars that you had and, and maybe you inherited it or try to do a more distinct strategy with an, a 401k rollover. But let's say you, they wanted to go buy property. You t hear this so much. I feel like it's ingrained into American culture to go buy this beautiful rental property that's going to provide all this great profit to you and this natural income. Does it work like that? And is that a smart idea? No, it's in, in general, it's probably an awful idea. Um, let me tell you why. So if you're rolling over money from a 401k or IRA, it's qualified money. You haven't paid taxes on it yet. So you're going to be taxed on it. Once you hit age 72, you're going to be subject to an RMD rule. Well, if you go that kind of self-directed IRA route where you invest your rollover into a property, how are you going to get, come up with the cash to take your RMD? Now you're forced to make a decision. Yep. You're, you're not going to be able to do it. 
Um, so that's what we see happen to a lot of people who, who take that strategy because they think buying a rental property is a great idea. Um, I mean, maybe it gets you some extra income in retirement. Um, but what I see from clients who have rentals is most of them pay somewhere between four to five percent a year. Meaning, so if you you know did a, you bought a million dollar duplex or something like that, you're probably going to extract something like fifty thousand a year in income. You know, pretty much the same as you'd get from a portfolio. Yeah, and I think you know you move that four hundred one k money over to a self directed IRA where you defer the tax and buy a property. Let me tell you something. You you if you're getting forty or fifty thousand dollars in rental income, that's not all profits because you need a, a separate tax return completed for the self directed IRA. You have all the costs to run the self-directed IRA. You have the distribution issues, the tax issues. There's a lot that's going into that that's going to cost money, and it's not cheap to do. I've never really been a big fan of um, you know rental properties, but that's just me. Some people are, um, some people love them, some people make a ton of money, um, but I, I usually advise against it. Yeah, I think we could do a whole topic on real estate, but Josh, for somebody who is younger, we do again get the same question. You have this lump sum of money. Do you go put it down as a deposit in a rental home? Do you pay a rental home cash? Is this a good place for somebody to grow it when they're younger? Um, I think it's something, you know, as you're younger, if if you do love real estate and you can see yourself as a landlord um, and managing property, um, sure. But you have to ask yourself those questions before we even look into a strategy. But like Matt said, you know, the rate of return when we look at, you know, rental property strategies isn't too far off. And, and Matt, correct me, you know, probably a little even less than the S&P 500 over the long term. So it's a lot of work for a lower rate of return. Yeah, it's a lot of work for definitely a lower rate of return than just investing in stocks for sure. And I think for millennials, like I said, I mean, if that is your passion, there are a lot of people who do a very successful job with the real estate strategies. We analyze them, you know, as well. Um, But I think that, you know, this opens up your world, right? Looking at real estate as a millennial, also looking at potentially starting a business or investing in a startup or another business, you know, on the private sector, not just the public sector with buying stocks through the open market. Um, There's a lot of opportunity out there and there's a lot of really cool ways that you can do that you know, with technology and with just the advancements and making it a little bit easier. And there's just so much information for millennials to build a very diversified investment portfolio. Um, And then I also think that, you know, all of your eggs shouldn't be in one basket. So like if you're thinking about putting that million dollars all into real estate, if you look at your balance sheet, your all of your assets are now tied to the real estate market. So do you really want all of those assets tied to just one sector? I don't. Now, let's go into another one because, you know, I'm going to throw a bunch of sort of investment options out at you and you can kind of pick a couple and tell if they're a good idea for a retiree. But let's say they're looking at, you know, cryptos or startups, hedge funds, private equity, private business, or just keep it in cash. I mean, as a retiree, are you looking at some of these options if you want to diversify outside of possibly the the mainstream two of a portfolio in real estate? Yeah, I mean, you can make an argument that some cash makes sense, right? I mean, I, I like to tell my, my clients who are retired, you know, let, let's keep about, you know, one or two, two years worth of income in cash, right? That way, we don't really care what the market does. We know we got your income and, you know, who cares if it's not really earning that much interest, the, the money is here for retirement. But as for the other ones you mentioned, the crypto startups, private equity, you know, the main problem I have with those is, is one risk, right? So those are kind of the riskiest um, investments on the investing spectrum. And then two, liquidity. You know, it's going to be hard to get your money back, especially in a start, if you're investing in startups or you're investing in private equity. 
you know, you might not see the money for the rest of your life. So when you're when you're looking to retire, I mean, you want you know some liquidity with that rollover. That's why stocks, bonds, and cash are the best for that. For a younger person, Josh, are you trying to hit big on some of these? The cryptos, the startups, hedge funds, private equities, private businesses? I think as the distribution and if you are diversified and you're looking into get into this space and you have the appetite for risk, like Matt said, it is you know some of the riskiest assets that you can actually invest in and you've determined that you don't need the liquidity, I think that they, they can play a role. Should they be the biggest role? No, I still like to lean on that you know stock. Um, diversified portfolio because it's not only been proven but we can you know have a little bit more of a projected rate of return as well and it does have that liquidity but then also just to, to kind of talk about the cash for millennials too if you are of the entrepreneurial mindset you might want to even keep a little bit more cash right you want to have cash available for other opportunities for business opportunities investing in you know like we said private equity or startups so i think that again as a millennial your investment spectrum widens there's more options but it'll have to align with what your risk tolerance is and you have to make sure that you do your research so we just talked a lot about different investments and let's say a retiree came to you, Matt, and wanted to determine what strategy is best for him, whether it's stocks and bonds or real estate. How do you come to that conclusion? It all starts with financial planning. Uh, like Josh mentioned when we got, in this, uh, got into this topic today, you know, well, you know what's the goal? Um, for most retirees, they have one goal. Hey, I want to make it to and through retirement without running out of money. You know, 99% of the people that we meet with have that goal. That um, They might not say it that way, but that's their goal. And we want to help create them a financial and retirement plan that helps them do that, right? So, you know, we're looking at Social Security, we're looking at income, we're looking at pensions, and then we're projecting out what their retirement's like. And then from there, once we know what it's going to look like, we know what the rate of return they need to get on their assets is. So then we could build a portfolio that's going to meet that rate of return. Yeah, regardless of how much money you have or how little money you have, I think there's two things that always come true. There's things that you want to do, and there's you don't want to run out of money before you die. And you got to solve for those. And this exercise of doing financial planning is going to help you communicate what your goals are and make sure that you're not running out of money. Is it any different for millennials? And how, if it is, how so? It is, like I said, I think the investment options do vary a little bit more because you can you know, accept a little bit more risk. But I don't think the fundamentals change. I think that, you know, you do have to have a goal. And even as a millennial, you're going to have a lot of life events that you don't even plan for. And some that you do, whether if it's getting married, whether if it's having children, whether if it's moving, um, you know, even to a different state, or you you have different goals or starting a business later in life. So, um, you know, you definitely want to have a plan because that plan is going to limit and a plan with goals is going to limit you from making decisions that aren't aligned with what you really want. And those investments are now going to align with, you know, your future. And it'll help you determine how much rate of return you really need, you know, because you might think you need 20% rate of return. But if you're planning it out and building a financial plan, your financial plan or meeting all those goals could determine that you only really need 10 or 11, right? So you, you don't even have to take extra risk if you didn't want to. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like we always get questions on before even asking what to do with it, I think a lot of people want to know how they implement it. So you're sitting on all this money. How do I make sure I don't get in the market all at one time and the market just drops and now I have so much less money? It's that fear of how do we implement these strategies? How does that work? 
The best strategy for doing that would be what we call dollar cost averaging. Um, so we've talked about it before on the show, but you know, let's say you take you know of that million dollars, you put twenty five percent in. You know, every couple of months, so that'd be two hundred and fifty thousand. And that way, you're buying in at uh, set prices. You know, you know what it is. If it drops, will you get in cheaper next time? Um, if it's a little higher, well, you're paying a little bit more. But at least you're getting that money in the market in stages. Um, very rarely do you ever, you know, throw all your money into the market at once. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, even, you know, I think Brent, you and I and Josh as well were were buying buying a lot of stocks during last March when the stock market was crashing, when the coronavirus was just hitting the economy. Uh, but we did it over a two, three week period. And then into the summer, we kept buying. So we were doing a, a dollar cost averaging strategy. Is that strategy any different for millennials, Josh? I mean, what is the implementation for somebody who's younger? I think that for millennials, it does depend on the time horizon. But again, um, you know, I, I hate to just keep repeating. It's also risk tolerance because that dollar cost averaging strategy, especially in the short term, is going to, you know, lower that that risk. And so, you know, if you don't have the appetite, it shouldn't all be going in at one time. And I think all three of us believe in that dollar cost averaging. Like you said, we've even used it multiple times and still use it now. I think it is an effective strategy to also making sure you just feel comfortable with investing, especially for millennials to drop a million dollars into the market or into an investment all at once and to see it drop by half. You know, you're not going to have a very good taste in your mouth. So it's okay to t- take things slow, especially if we're investing over 20 years and in doing it on a you know frequent manner. You know, I think that that strategy is also fitting for, for millennials as well. Or they could take that million and put it in AMC, catch a 10 bagger and they got 10 million. So they're going to have a real <laughs> good taste in their mouth. Not only, not only are they going to have 10 million, they're going to get free popcorn and uh, invites to specialty showings or viewings at the AMC movie theater. Can't beat that. <laughs> I'll tell you what not to do with it. Don't, don't get sold by a broker, insurance agent, somebody at the bank, somebody at an institution that just wants to sell you product. If you have a lump sum, reach out to a fee-only advisor. Um, don't get sold of somebody that just wants to sell you some product because I'll tell you a way that it's not going to work no matter which strategy you implement and that's you buying some type of an expensive investment that's not going to work that you're set up to not succeed. Wall Street brokers, advisors, they can get very rich selling you product. Don't get caught in that, whether you're young or old. Yeah, no, I agree with that. A famous book called Where the Customer's Yachts, um, written in like the 1920s, uh, about exactly what you're talking about, Brent. Yep. Yeah, we got to be careful. All right, let's get into the RPA recommends. Matt, why would you hit us off with uh, what do you have today? Oh, man, I, I don't really have anything that great again. Um, I've been spending most of my money um, buying clothes because, you know, we're back here at the office a couple days a week and... You know, I had a little waste expansion, like I said earlier on the show. So I've been some put, putting my money into some clothes. Wait, are you saying work from home's over? For me, it is. It doesn't have to be for everybody else. But I've, I've been enjoying coming to the office and seeing Brent. Um, so yeah, I, I bought some, some new shirts and some new clothes. I was really mad. I was trying to buy the Bonobo sale over Memorial Weekend. But literally everything on there was sold out in my size, which was very frustrating. And what is Bonobo's? Bonobos is a clothing company um, owned by Walmart, a men's clothing company, and I think it's just direct to consumer. So you go to the store and you get fitted, and then you buy, you buy your stuff online. Yeah, one thing you did buy with your new house, I don't think you talked about yet, is you bought Nest, right? And how is that working for your house? Nest is good. I, I like it. Um, I, I think with all of these cameras, they could be developed a lot, a lot more, and the technology is going to keep changing. 
it's good. It's not great. There, it's an expensive product, definitely on the higher end. Um, I would say probably most most people would get away with just the the cheaper ones from the ring. But at, as the technologies develop, it's going to get much better. I just don't think it's it's there yet. I think my Nest is great. I have everything tied in. I think it's awesome. I have some Nest products too. I like them too. I just feel like that space isn't like mastered yet. Like there's not a company out there that just like complete with like Wi-Fi routers camera security that's really like mastered that whole space that would be nice if if a company can do that. you, you know who messed up um talking about companies um adt adt should have paid through the roof for nest yeah now, now they have a partnership together with that makes google the most sense. but i i looked into it because we have adt as our alarm it's like ah, it's just easier to buy it from nest than go through adt yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely what do you have for us today um, I was trying to think of what I recommend. Oh, you know what? Actually, me and my wife had just finished um, the Selena series on Netflix. So they had the first season a couple months ago. I don't know if it was a couple months ago. It might have been longer. Um, and the second actual um, season came out. And we had just finished that. So anyone not familiar, the, the Mexican-American singer Selena, there was a movie they did on her a while ago that J-Lo starred in. But they kind of redid the series or netflix redid the series and it was pretty good you know we grew up watching that selena movie and we always liked that like me and my wife um but it was cool to see you know someone redo her you know her story um so if you're looking for a you know a pretty good series uh, i recommend that i'm gonna go with one um that i think i've talked about in a previous show but i think it's been a while and, and, and in case you had missed this it's been a topic of conversation all morning uh, that's with the energy drink space right now. It just seems like that space is becoming a gazillion dollars. Um, and one one company that's taking in that space is a company that we're all investors in, and that's Celsius. Uh, we own all own stock. But you know, I if you're into energy drinks and you want a healthier version, like I wouldn't be going buying Red Bull or Bang or Monster. I, I would go for a little bit more healthier caffeine. Um, and you could do that with Celsius. We're actually planning our our vacation for the summer. And I think the reason the stock's going up so much today is because I put my order in for vacation. <laughs> I'm glad he's finally talking about his favorite drink. Yeah, that, that's a good one, Brent. There, it's uh, made with green tea, right? Is that like the green tea ingredients? And that's how they make it a little healthier and less sugar and everything? Yeah, it's natural caffeine. It tastes good. It's, uh, it's got all natural products in it. And uh, it gives you that kind of caffeine boost in the afternoon if you're, you're having that midday sluggishness. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it definitely, you know, looking at the ingredients, a lot healthier than a lot of those other ones. So they do cans and then they do the powdered packets. We love the powdered packets. So, you know, when we were packing for a vacation, we could throw, you know, powder packets in the, in the suitcase and it's yeah. not going to weigh it down. Yeah, very cool. All right. So any other final thoughts? Um, no, I don't have any. This is a good show that I enjoyed it. Uh, if you do get a lump sum of money, call advisor, fee only. Do not call a broker. Be smart with it because it could change your life. As advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You could also download our ebook from our website. If you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. Thanks for listening as always. Thank you. Thank you.
RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.